everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a special edition of the Writing Gold Standard Podcast. As always, my name is Zach Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host Anthony Perry, and we're here to talk some 49ers. Anthony, how you doing today? Struggling through the heat? Yeah, man, it is hot in the East Bay. It is currently 106 degrees, and man, we had to turn the AC off, so our mics don't pick this up, man, because we'll be hearing rumbling all throughout. But uh, let's just say I cannot wait to get the AC back on after this. It is a scorcher. Yeah, dude, it, it's hot. Um, so, guys, without further ado, we're going to get right into this. And the biggest news, obviously, George Kittle over the middle for a long time to come. Five years at least, Anthony. Um, were you ever nervous that the deal wouldn't get done? I wasn't nervous about the deal getting done, but I would say I was more nervous about how long it was going to take. and. I felt like that even if the deal didn't get done, they were still going to tag him, and it sounded like Kittle would have played under the tag willingly. But either way, that's not what we want. That's not what the team and the players want and everything in between. That's, no one wants a franchise tag. So the sooner that this got done, the better. I'm just glad it didn't go on into what would have been preseason games. And he got the money he deserved. He really did. In the long run, this contract is going to be very team-friendly. It's very front-loaded with a lot of signing bonus money up front. I think it was $30 million at signing, 40 guaranteed throughout the contract. So the Niners did him a big favor, and he kind of did the Niners a big favor by just taking all that signing bonus money now. That way his cap hit won't be too major against the team. And not that I want to think about it, but in a few years down the road, if anything were to happen, he would uh, not wind up being a super big cap casualty. Yeah, I wasn't particularly nervous that it wasn't going to happen. It was just like... I don't know. The main concern I had was that negotiations, negotiations, excuse me, weren't going to go as well as maybe George wanted them to go. Maybe some bad blood would start to kind of form between him and the team, um, and he maybe he wouldn't have the best faith going forward with negotiations. And maybe even if he did sign this contract, maybe he'd start thinking, okay, but after this, I'm I'm out of here, you know. Um, but I, I had a feeling they were going to get it done. We've talked about it on this podcast before numerous times, and I've always said, if you're not going to extend George Kittle. What chances do anybody else, does anybody else on the team have? I mean, he's a fifth-round pick, came out, worked his tail off, and he became the best tight end in the NFL. He completely overworked and is, you know, over better than his draft position in a fifth-round pick. He deserves to get extended. If he doesn't, like I said, I don't know who does. So they were going to extend him. Um, it was just a matter of are they going to do him right or are they going to kind of make him bite the bullet, maybe franchise tag him first and then extend him. You know, there are all these things that come into play, but I'm, nonetheless, I'm glad it got done. Uh, and I'm very, very glad that he seems to be happy. His family seems to be happy and the team seems to be happy. So at the end of the day, that's all you really want. Um, now, and there was kind of a spectacle for the last week or two about this signing being done. Uh, a lot of people were coming out with sources saying signings done, it's being announced on X day, it's this amount. Um, more, I kind of, I guess, most notable Grant Cohn came out on Wednesday, I believe, saying that the signing was done and it was six years, 96 million, or something along those lines. Um, and it was going to be announced Friday. Now, when the figures came out, it was a little different. And although it was announced on Friday, Grant Cohn is still getting kind of clowned. What do you think about kind of the rush to be first to report this story? As someone who wants to be an eventual news writer and news reporter in his career, it is really important to be the first one to get the story, and especially to get it right like Grant Cohn did. And 
I think that's the thing that kind of upset, quote-unquote upset a lot of people, is that no one expected Grant Cohn to be the one to break the story. Yeah, people knew his history with the Press Democrat, and yeah, people know he's writing for the Niners at Sports Illustrated now. But I mean, the history he has, at least if you don't really know Grant Cohn like we do in terms of how he is in the fan base, a lot of people either really like him or really don't like him at all. And it seems like he's more on the side of people not really liking him to begin with. But it's the fact of the matter that when you are doing your job and you have something as big as, for example, George Kittle's contract, or if it was, say, Trent, the Trent Williams trade or trading for Emmanuel Sanders, like things like that high up and, and things that would really, really shock people, you want to be the first one. Because if you get that exposure, you get all those clicks. You get the likes and retweets and you get the followers, you get the revenue. And yeah, Grant Cohen's trying to make his money, but Grant Cohen also wants to do his job and do his job well. and. He, he reports to the Niners. He cares about how he does his job. And yeah, he says things that people don't like. But I think the one thing I do give Cone props for is that he's very honest about what he has to say. And yeah, if he goes back on this word, or he will admit his mistake. It happens. It happens with every reporter. But he, he does his job. And the fact that he broke the story before guys like Schefter and Ian Rappaport and uh, who Michael Silver, everyone in between, even even the higher up local reporters like Matt Mayogo, Eric Branch, uh, Matt Barrows, in particular to Grant Cohen of all people broke the story. And it's the fact that he did it that, again, just shocked everyone, shocked me, myself. Like, I don't have anything wrong with Grant Cohen. Personally, I don't care. He just does his job. People don't seem to like him. I don't really care. But him of all people, Zach, that's, that's what's really crazy is that it was him of all people to break one of the biggest things that everyone has been waiting for since, honestly, last season is Kill's going to need a new contract. Kill's going to need a new contract. How much money is he going to make? What's he going to Earn. Is he going to get signed? Is he going to get tagged? Is he going to get traded? Things of that nature. And it's the fact that Grant Cohen, of all people, broke the story. I got to admit, that's really impressive. That's really impressive. But as a reporter, dude, you want to desire to be the first one to break something that big because the exposure you can get out of it, surreal. The whole thing with me about this whole Grant Cohen and not only that, but just other uh, local reporters, not even necessarily reporters, uh, podcasters, accounts on Twitter, people like that, rushing to get this story first is when it didn't happen, you don't see them coming out and issuing retractions or just admitting the fact that they were wrong. They kind of double down. Um, and in Grant's case, though, he didn't really double down. I mean, you could kind of act like he did or say that he did. Um, he tweeted out that gif of Dame Miller kind of staring at the camera, you know, like, really? Um, but he, in my, in my defense of Grant Cohn, Grant, or excuse me, Michael Silver of NFL Network had just reported a few days ago that this wasn't happening anytime soon. Uh, Jack Becta, Kittle's agent, was tweeting inchworms about how slow the progress was going. Well, there's a week until he puts himself in a more perilous position, potentially, when real practices start. So I think this is a big week. Uh, I talked to Kittle's agent, Jack Becta, yesterday. He said progress has been minimal and later reinforced that by texting me an inchworm emoji to underscore that fact. And, uh, you know, the, it's not just money. There is structure and how much money a player like George Kittle could get up front, how much would actually be guaranteed. And at the heart of all this has been somewhat of a philosophical divide between the 49ers who say, listen, we want to pay you more than any tight end ever because you're the greatest tight end. And uh, Kittle's camp, which is saying 
don't view me as a tight end. I was just voted the seventh best player in football at any position. And uh, then you have players like Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz who have outperformed their contracts and are in line for a significant raise. Right now, the, the biggest per year tight end contract is Austin Hooper's $10.5 million a year that he signed in this past free agency period. So you have Kelsey and you have Ertz knocking on the door of their respective uh, teams saying, hey, listen, I, I think an adjustment is in order. And then Kittle uh, obviously is looking for a whole lot of money, too. So there, there's a lot uh, to pay attention to. But I think this week will be a very, very pivotal week for George Kittle and the 49ers. And then a couple of days after that, Grant breaks the story that it's going to happen Friday. And then the story happens and Michael Silver wants credit for it, for it happening. So it was kind of just like, I don't know, man, like, what, what do you, you were just talking about how it's not going to happen anytime soon. And then it happened and you want, you want the credit. Um, the figures and the, the years weren't correct. They, they didn't match what the amount was, but he was right on the day that it was announced. It was announced on Friday. It came out and I think Grant said something along the lines of, uh, they, they were messing around with the final money and the amount guaranteed, something like that. So they dropped it down from six years to five years, uh, from 96 to 75 mil. Take that as it is. Um, I'm not defending Grant Cohn on that at all. It's just, that's what he said. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a real rush here. And obviously this is a huge story. Um, you get credited in, you know, guys like, uh, Colin Coward or ESPN or, you know, uh, Rich Eisen, if you break this story, they're going to be saying your name your media affiliation, if you have that, that scoop. Um, so I understand why you're trying to rush that story out there. If you feel like you have a source and you're correct and you feel confident with it, but it's more important to be right than it is to be first. And I think that's what this whole kind of debacle showcased the most is that it doesn't matter if you think you have it right away. If it's not right, you didn't have it. Um, so that's just kind of how I feel about it. And moving forward, hopefully we'll see a little more about, um, just people trusting their sources. If they really, really do feel like they're correct, then they'll go forward with them. But maybe pump the brakes a little bit and, and just confirm it before going out with it and it turning out to be false. Um, Anthony, training camp is finally here. It seems like this is the offseason that never ended. Um, what are some training camp battles you want to keep an eye on? This entire team is exciting to watch, man. But if I had to pick one thing and or one group only to be watching, man, is the wide receivers. It's going to be one hell of a show to see who makes a cut. You got guys like Dewan Jennings, who just got drafted, coming into battle. Uh, Jalen Hurts coming back from injury. Trent Taylor's coming back from injury. Debo Samuel's out, but he I think Shanahan said he could be on track to play week one, but we'll see. So he obviously he's on the team, but if he's not out or if he's not playing, he's hurt for a few games, that spot that's open for him is going to be huge. So you got guys like Trent Taylor, Jalen Hurd, Dewan Jennings. Uh, they just cut Chris Thompson. Dante Pettis has a big spot to battle for. Brandon Ayuk is a guy who will definitely make a name for himself. You got the guys they just signed in, J.J. Nelson and Tavon Austin, who they could be cut candidates. But, hey, we'll see. Who knows? This wide receiver battle is going to be huge, dude. And as far as we know, the only two or three guys that have their spots solidified, I would say at least, are Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and I guess Trent Taylor. Maybe be Trent Taylor. But it's hard, dude. It's hard because there's lots of position battles that are open on this team. And then and obviously I forgot about Kendrick Bourne too. Kendrick Bourne's a huge piece in the team also. He's another lock. So there's two to three spots left on the team that are 
quite frankly, up for grabs. That could belong to anyone. And yeah, the defensive line battle will be huge. The O-line battles will be huge, at least for the backup positions. Uh, Kyle just said Quan is going to be the starting linebacker at weak side. We'll talk about that later. But there's a lot of battles going on with the team, man. But if I had to pick anything, anything at all, I think the wide receivers will be the biggest showcase for the entire team throughout the offseason. That, that's a big one because they've addressed this position for, it seems like, the whole time they've been here, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch. Uh, they draft Dante Pettis, draft Debo. This year they draft Ayuk. So that's going to be a huge one to keep an eye on because there's a lot of big names there, and they're all young. They're all within a year or two of, you know, uh, NFL experience. So there's a lot of first and second rounders and even, you know, later guys that have been productive like Kendrick Bourne and hopefully Juwan Jennings is able to be productive. But, yeah, that, that's a big one to keep an eye on as well. Um, for me, I'm just going to keep keeping an eye on that secondary because they recently released DJ Reed um, with – I think he had an injury – but Sherm's not getting any younger. And although he did play at a really high level last year, um, he, he was still kind of burnt at, at moments, which happens to any corner. I'm not going to f- uh, shame him for that. But he's not getting any younger, like I said. And the 49ers didn't really address this position in the draft. And I know you can kind of argue how could they have where they were. Um, there weren't really too many guys that were able to be selected. But it's still just – it kind of comes down on them at the end of the day. If the secondary takes a huge step back, they kind of neglected it for years at a time. Um, Akello was kind of the only pick that they they used, at least higher up in, in the draft, to address the secondary. And the, the verdict's still kind of out on Akello. Nobody really knows how that's going to play out. Obviously, I hope that he does take a step forward and regain that momentum that he had at the beginning of last year before he got injured. But that's no guarantee. So. I think the secondary is huge. And and the best thing about all of this is that the 49ers don't need the best secondary in the NFL because they have the best defensive front in the NFL. And that really alleviates pressure on the secondary to be elite, to be, you know, one of the top tier secondaries. They were already playing historically great last season as it was. So they really don't need to do that much more to keep up with that level of play because they're getting so much help from up front. But either way, that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on because it, it could be a huge kind of just factor for this team moving forward. Um, Anthony, you touched on there. Kyle Shanahan recently said that he's going to be rolling with Quan Alexander over Drake Greenlaw, uh, even though Drake Greenlaw played at a really high level last season. What are your initial thoughts on that? Do you think that's the right move? Yeah, I think that's the right move. And look, Drake Greenlaw was excellent. I'm not saying that him right now should – be a backup because I think if you put him on any other team after the season he had, I think he would arguably be a starter. That's how well he played. The problem is that when Quan was healthy and Quan was kind of getting in this role, he was arguably a Pro Bowl linebacker. That's how good he was playing. He's making interceptions against the Bengals. He was breaking up passes. He was very good in coverage. He was very good tackling. He could keep up with tight ends and he could keep up with running backs. And the guy just, he did it all. He almost looked like the really slower safety out there but that's not to knock him that just means that he's a really fast linebacker so it sucks in the sense because we do want to see more Drake Greenlaw out out there but if Shanahan's the one saying that Quan's starting spot is his for the taking and he deserves it then I would argue that he deserves it because again he's a very very good linebacker and I felt like he would have been a pro bowler if he hadn't torn his peg and yeah when he came back in for the Super Bowl he did not look that good at all his missing tackles you could tell he's kind of playing on the bum pecs 
still is definitely sore for him. But when the guy is at his peak and when he's healthy, he is one of the best linebackers in the game. And do, I think Dre Greenlaw can get to that point. He just needs more time. And the thing is, is you pay Quan all this money, you let Quan go through all the motions and you get him training camp and everything works out and he looks great and you bench him for Dre. No offense to Dre, man, but man, that'd be like a really tough decision. It's almost like it'd be like signing your brand new shiny toy or linebacker to this much money and then starting the backup. And when you have a $10 million piece sitting on the bench, you know? So, but that's not the case. The case is that Dre Greenlaw is really good. And he is, but you just got to roll with Quan, Zach. I'm curious as to what you think, because again, Dre was really good. I would argue that all three of those guys should be on the field at the same time, and I'm sure they will be at points during the season. But if this is Quan's position for the taking, obviously he's going to get the most snaps, he's going to get the most plays. And yeah, it takes away from Greenlaw, but man, Quan is really something else once he's, you know, he has the train rolling. I was... I wasn't too taken back by this when, when Coach Shanahan said that they were going to be rolling with Quan. Like you said, he's the big money signing. Um, they kind of have to have him out there on the field or else they kind of look bad um, and maybe they look like they made the wrong decision. But Dre Greenlaw, like you said, played really well. So it kind of puts them in a catch-22 because no matter who they bench, they could be possibly hurting their own defense because – uh, they're both talented guys. I don't think they expected Dre to play at, at high, as high of a level that he did play at so early on. Um, I had John Chapman on not too long ago, and he was saying that he thinks Dre Greenlaw has the highest ceiling out of any of the linebackers on the 49ers. Um, so he's a very talented linebacker, and he, he's so smart. Um, you mean, you saw it on that, that Seahawks game, Week 17. He knew where that ball was going, and he not only that, he learned from the week previous to that where the uh, Julio went went low or the, the defender went low and Julio was able to kind of bounce into the end zone. Well, Dre learned from that and he went ahead and made sure that he went high and did not let Jacob Hollister, I believe was the Seahawks tight end, get into the end zone. So he's got a high football IQ and he's extremely talented. Um, that that pick against Russell Wilson in week 10, I think it was, when they first played in, in, in Santa Clara, just showcased his, his athleticism and his skills 110%. Not too many linebackers in the NFL could have made that interception. Um, so I was a little taken back by it, but not too much because Quan was the big money signing. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Like like you said, I agree. They'll probably all three be out on the field at some point, um, but just kind of for technicality and, and for the matter of depth chart, Quan is going to get the nod. Um, and he is the veteran. So it's not too, uh, I don't know, too surprising, I guess I should say. Now, Anthony, the 49ers recently uh, this week announced the signings of wide receivers, Tavon Austin and J.J. Nelson. What sort of impact do you think they'll have on this team, if any? I think that out of both of the guys, I think just based off of returning experience and just experience in the league, I think Tavon Austin has the best shot at making the team compared to J.J. Nelson. Don't get me wrong, both of them are similar wide receivers in terms of their playing speed and their playing style. Smaller, but they can fly up the field. They can run routes pretty well. Someone in our chat said uh, those are, he, they're kind of running like Marquise Goodwin routes, maybe just to give Jimmy Garoppolo some deep throw practice just to kind of see where his accuracy is at on deep throws and work him in from there. But the thing is, is that if they don't keep J.J. Nelson on Austin, you get the feel that they don't necessarily have that kind of guy who can go out there and run routes like Goodwin did at that kind of speed. So it makes you figure that, okay, 
if Shanahan really does value one of these guys, I think that one of them will make the team. And again, that's like what I was saying earlier, is that the wide receiver roster spots are going to be up for grabs out of the Bourne, Debo, and uh, Ayuk. So having Tavon Austin and J.J. Nelson to kind of work into the offense and see what they can see what they can really do, I think that's huge. And again, I think Tavon Austin does have a pretty good shot at making the team. It's not to say that his value would be solely as a returner, but he would be good as like a one-trick pony on the field, maybe for a couple surprise deep throws. Who knows? Shanahan likes to use these guys all over the place, so it wouldn't be surprising to me if Austin makes the team. But yeah, right now it feels like that they need that just to see where Garoppolo's deep accuracy is, see how he's working, get him back into the flow of throwing the ball deep. Because I get it, you don't need speed guys to throw the ball deep. You can have Ayuk run a go or Debo run a go or post or anything like that, and Garoppolo can still huck it down the field with 30-plus yards. But ideally, you want to see deep throws on faster guys. So it, it goes both it goes both ways. It, it could really depend, but I like Austin, dude. I, I don't know why. Something about Tavon Austin is very intriguing. Yeah, when when this first happened, when they first signed both these guys, I tweeted out from the 49ers type account, what do you guys think of the signing? And a lot of people were saying speed. Uh, it looks like they're trying to get faster. It looks like uh, they're trying to challenge maybe some of the punt and kick returners. Uh, some people were even saying, you know, what does this mean for Dante Pettis? Uh, possibly Trent Taylor coming back from injury. Um, are they not too confident in their abilities? And I don't think it's that much. I don't think they should read into it that much, I should say. Kind of reminds me of the Jordan Matthews signing of last year, where he was sort of a big name, and a lot of people got excited and were thinking what type of role does he have with this team? And it turned out he didn't really have one at all. Um, no disrespect to Jordan Matthews, but the 49ers just had other plans and they were going to go with their own guys. And he was more of a camp body. Um, I think one of these guys has a pretty big shot, not a big shot, I should say, has a better shot than the other of making the roster. And I agree with you. I think it's Tavon Austin, um, which is funny because last time we asked this question with Deion Jordan and uh, Ziggy Anza, we both said Ziggy and then they ended up signing Sandy Dion. So with our luck, they'll probably end up going with JJ Nelson. But if I was, if I had to guess, if I were a betting man, I would go that they are going to stick with Tavon Austin. Um, he was electrifying in college, and he went to the Rams straight out of out of, out of the draft. And they didn't really know how to showcase his skills. Um, so I mean, I think that Shanahan, if anybody, should be able to get the most out of him, and just having kind of a playmaker, gadget player, kick returner like that on the team. Even though he may not be as fast as he was coming out of college, he's still pretty damn fast. So I think the, he's going to have a blast kind of playing around with him on the field and having him as, an, as a weapon in his arsenal to be able to just attack these opposing defenses. Um, now, Anthony, they had also signed Jordan Reed recently, the former Washington football team tight end. How much of an impact do you think he'll have on this team? Dude, if he's healthy, I think this could be one of the most underrated tight end duos in all of football. Jordan Reed is really good. He's really he's just a solid tight end, point blank. Injuries have knocked him back. It's mostly just a concussions thing. I think the season prior, he had a I think it was like a leg or ankle injury or something like that. Something that wasn't a concussion for once. But if the guy is healthy, if he's out there balling, if he understands the offense, again, Reed was with. Kyle Shanahan in 2013 when he was a rookie. I think he had 499 yards on like 40 catches, something like that. Something like nothing major. But the point being is that Jordan 
Reed is a very good tight end when he's healthy. He's a solid move tight end, if you will, where they're not going to bring him in to necessarily block like Kittle or like how they drafted Charlie Warner, or even when they brought in uh, uh, what was the big dude? Oh, uh, Levine Toilolo when they brought him in. Jordan Reed's more of a receiving type tight end who can help move the ball. Almost reminds me of like when the team had Vernon Davis at the time, where yeah, this guy can't block, but damn. He's basically he's basically an inline wide receiver. Yeah, Reed doesn't move like George, uh, like uh, Vernon Davis. God, I'm going blank. He, Jordan Reed doesn't move like Vernon Davis, but the point being is that I think Reed can have that impact that Vernon Davis did when he was on the team. And that's not to say we're getting prime Vernon Davis where he was arguably the best in football. We're just going to get a Vernon Davis like tight end who will go out there, who will make plays up the middle of the field, and who can move the ball arguably as well as George Kittle. Yeah, speaking of George Kittle, he recently came out and said that Coach Shanahan told him that Jordan Reed was the best route-running tight end he'd ever seen. It's pretty high praise coming from Coach Shanahan. Um, he's worked with some pretty notable tight ends in, in his career. But I think he could have a significant impact on this offense with a huge asterisk on if he stays healthy. Um, his career has been plagued by concussion specifically, and I, I thought that um, – if I remember correctly, Washington, their staff was kind of trying to convince him to not play. And Matt and I said this on, on the Niners news that happened when they, they signed him. If Washington is telling you not to play the same coaching staff and medical team that try to trot Trent Williams out there with cancer, there might be a bigger issue there than we're led to believe. Um, so it, it's concerning that he's still coming back. But I mean, if he was cleared by our medical staff, I guess you just got to trust what the 49ers are saying right now, as opposed to what Washington was saying back then. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Concussions are no joke. You can't really heal from one fully, especially when you keep having repeated concussions. So it's a huge, huge matter of importance that he stays healthy and he doesn't take too many blows to the head because it could be catastrophic for his, his career and his time with the 49ers. Given all of that, if he stays healthy, the 49ers easily have the best tight end duo in the NFL. Um, Jordan, George Kittle on one side and Jordan Reed on the other. They can run those two tight end sets, and that would be lethal, man. These, these defenses would not know who to cover. Jordan Reed, George Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, um, Kendrick Bourne. I mean, there's just it would be just too many weapons for defenses to be able to shift and rotate however coverage they'd like. Um, so it's going to be really exciting to see with that huge asterisk on staying healthy. Um, but I guess we'll just have to see how that happens. Um, but I'm excited. I think that it'll be good. It's just a matter of how things play out going into the season. Now we're going to go ahead and move into our RGS mailbag questions, guys. Um, Anthony, the first one I have for you is from Nick. I believe it's Rigo from Instagram. Is Trent Taylor overrated? I like what Trent Taylor has to offer, but I think the way people speak about Trent Taylor is overrated in terms of, I don't know. I feel like on social media, and obviously this is just social media, you get the feeling that like the way people talk about Trent Taylor, they go, oh, Trent Taylor can do this, Trent Taylor can do that. He looks really good in camp. He looks really athletic. Like They talk about him like he's going to be a 1,500-yard 15 touchdown type wide receiver. And that, that just seems like the hype we get out of him just based off social media. So I feel like that type of, I, I 
I guess overhyped, at least in my opinion, more so than overrated comes to be. I do think Trent Taylor can be very good and very effective in this offense. But again, it's the way people talk about Taylor, like he's going to be the next coming of Randy Moss or even Wes Welker, just based off their uh, stereotypical wide receiver stature, if you will, comes to be. We saw Trent Taylor play very well when he was healthy. He was Jimmy Garoppolo's go-to, but he hasn't played in, what, two seasons? It almost feels like three seasons. So it is yet to be determined what we will see out of him. Right now, it sounds like he's having a very good camp just based off of day one already. But we also heard he was having a very good camp last season, too, until the foot injury. So with all comes first is health. He needs to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy and stay on the field and play, I think he can reach some of the expectations people are putting on him. But in terms of the way people speak on him, again, they talk about him, Zach, like he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. That's not to say he won't be, but right now he's not necessarily on that path. So, yes, I do think he is slightly overrated. I think this is a classic case of remembering things a little better than they actually were, that nostalgia feeling. Um, When Trent Taylor shined the brightest was that five-game stretch with Jimmy, um, and the team was crap up until that point. I'll, I'll say I'll be frank. And once Jimmy got in there, they turned things around and Trent Taylor was looking really good, but as opposed to crap, like they recently were. Um, So it could be a case of nostalgia. And I agree with you in the sense that they do think about him and talk about him. Like he's going to be, you know, step in and and have a thousand yard season right off the back, right? Like that. We got to remember, like, again, like you said, this guy's two years removed from playing a meaningful snap in the NFL. Um, So it's just, it's tricky because he's talented and last season, again, they were saying how great he looked. And today, what was the first report we heard out of today? He had the play of the day with a one-handed catch, you know? So I really, really hope he's not one of those guys that just shines in training camp. And then it never seems to make it to the field, either for production reasons, injury reasons, whatever the case may be. I hope that's not the case with Trent Taylor because I'm one of those guys that's thinking about him better than it may have been. I think that he can be really good if he gets out there and he stays healthy, but it, it's unfortunately he hasn't been able to do that. Um, but if he gets in there, just imagine him, like I said, with Jordan Reed, with all these other weapons, and you throw in Trent Taylor, who's healthy and and ready to play, it's going to be tough to defend, man. So I do agree that he could be a little bit overrated in the sense that people are thinking of him and kind of giving him unrealistic expectations. But at the same time, if he comes back and lives up to those expectations, I don't think any of us that are saying, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, I don't think we'd be too surprised to see that. Um, Our next RGS mailback question is from Zay Ward on Twitter. And by the way, happy birthday, Zay. Uh, I know you just had one not too long ago, so shout out to him. Um, What are the realistic chances of the 49ers getting back to the Super Bowl? How should we do this, Zach? Should we do it based on how we feel, like out of ten, or should we do like a percentage? What do you think? Um, let's do out of ten. Out of ten, I am nine out of ten that the Niners can get back to the Super Bowl, and I—that's not. I'm trying to speak as non-fan based or biased as possible. Look, they have a, a fantastic front office. They have an even better coaching staff than the front office, in my opinion. They have all the talent. They have everything on the team that they need to get back to that position they were in. The chemistry is there for the entire team. Again, you have great coaching staff, great talent on the team, and they mesh, and they are just perfect. And I get no NFL team is perfect outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes. 
But overall, the Niners are just a simply, simply solid team. And if they could continue the way they finished last season outside the Super Bowl, how hot they were in the playoffs and how hot they were near the end of the regular season, or no, at the beginning of the season, prior to the injuries in the second half of, you know, from week eight on when D Ford got hurt and then Blair Torres, you know, all that stuff. The team has, they have it. They do. We've seen it when they ball out. They can play. They can match up against the best teams, bottom line. And I think the only kryptonite to the Niners will be Jimmy Garoppolo. I really do. The quarterback is the leader. He is. He's the one who drives the machine. He's also the one who crashes the car. And Jimmy Garoppolo is excellent in the Super Bowl until the fourth quarter. Was it the concussion hit, supposedly? I don't know. Was it Shanahan's play calling? I don't know. I'm not dwelling on it anymore. But the point being is that that one little minus one out of ten that I'm missing from my nine out of ten is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. I truly think, Zach, that Jimmy Garoppolo is – and this, this is just more than just being the quarterback. This is just him, his play, how he is as a team leader, his health, everything. I think he will be the biggest X factor when it comes to this team making the Super Bowl. We've seen teams win the Super Bowl all the time with average quarterbacks, like when what Seattle won with Matt Hassel back in the early 2000s. We've seen the Giants win with Eli Manning. Eli, Eli Manning was good, but at the same time, he had a very fantastic defense at his helm. Joe Flacco is another good example. He, he got hot in the playoffs, but overall that defense was entirely something else. So the point being is that average quarterbacks can win the Super Bowl. Even if Jimmy Garoppolo was average, this team can win the Super Bowl, I think. But his play will heavily determine the path that this team goes on. And if he plays crap, oh, okay, this is what I'm saying. If he plays crappy, the team will still get going, but it'll just be a lot harder, you know what I mean? And if he gets hot, the playoffs like these other guys did in the past, so be it. They win the Super Bowl. But it's all on him, Zach. I really, really, really believe it's going to be all on him to determine the team's success. Nine out of ten. That that's high. That is very high. Um I'm confident in, in this team, but I don't know if I'd put it that high just because of how many things need to go right in order for a team to get back to the Super Bowl and, and win it. Um I think I'm more at like a seven right now. And like I said, there's so many things, injuries, schedule, uh, luck. How many plays come down to an inch? Look at that week 17 matchup against Seattle again. Um, If that tight end gets into the end zone, the 49ers are on the road the next week, and there's no guarantee that they're going to be in the Super Bowl um, like they were. So, so many things come down to the smallest amount of an inch or of luck or, you know, the, the just the way the dice roll. So it's tough, man. But if I had to put a number on it, I'd say seven out of 10. Um, and the reason why I'm so confident real quick is because most of the times when a team gets to the Super Bowl and regardless of them, they win or they lose the next year, they're almost 60% different. Um, rarely are they able to keep all the same pieces, uh, whether it's coaches, players, whatever the case may be. Most of the time, this is a copycat league and the rest of the other 30 teams that didn't make it to the Super Bowl, they're eyeing these two teams that did and they're plucking players and coaches as much as they can. The 49ers, they didn't really do that. They let go of Emmanuel Sanders. They didn't, you know, match his contract to the saints. And then they traded away DeForest Buckner. But outside of that, there's no glaring differences between last year and this year. And you could argue soon enough, they will be better than they were last year if you're just looking at those two guys um, because they added two younger guys in Ayuk and Kinlaw, and they're not going to be better right off the back. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Ayuk and Kinlaw are already better than Defoe and Emmanuel Sanders. That's crazy. 
but in a year or two's time, they could be better. Um, the ceiling on these two guys is high, and in this system, I think they could be really, really good. So it's just something to keep an eye on moving forward, but I would stick with a 7 out of 10, mainly due to the fact that not much changed. Um, our next question is from DJ Browntown on Instagram. What record do we see the Niners ending the year with? And we could keep this at regular season so we don't get into postseason stuff like that. Okay, good. I'm already thinking about the postseason, and I can, I'm already stressed out about that stuff, man. I know this team is going to give me headaches this season. And that's not even talking about COVID-19, man. But if I had to predict, you know, you know what's one thing I watched is that I watched this video on the NFL's YouTube where they did the ceilings and floors for all NFL teams. I think they had the Niners at 12 and four with the ceiling of 14 and two and their floor was eight and eight. And that's really good. If you're a you know, former Super Bowl team and your worst record could be eight and eight, but I think I have to roll with them, man. 12 and four, 12 and four sounds very reachable. 14 and two would be reaching for the stars, but that's the thing this year, Zach, is that there's only one buy and the teams that come in first place going into the playoffs. That's going to be huge. I think we will see a lot of the teams actually, actually like, put 100% effort into every single game. That's not saying they don't, but, dude, playoff positioning matters this year in particular. Who knows if we're even going to have football? Let's hope it happens. But assuming everything is healthy and happy and everything is all working out well, that number one seed is huge. I, I want to see the Niners go 12-4, and four, but my heart my heart for them says 14-2 and two because I want them to get a bye and be the one seed. Man, that's how much I, I really want them to be in a successful position. But 12-4, and four, man, I'm confident in 12-4. It's funny that you have uh, 12 and four and 14 and two, because I'm kind of in the middle. I'm thinking 13 and three. Um, I think they're going to have a couple slip ups. They may lose a game to Arizona, possibly even one to Seattle, although I'm not banking on that. Um, and I think maybe a random game in between there due to travel or whatever the case may be. Um, rest if they already have stuff locked up. Um, I'm going 13 and three, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough because this team is young for the most part. They don't have as many veterans as they did last year. Um, but at the same time, guys, young guys are taking another year forward in their careers and in their NFL experience. So it, it may balance out, but if I had to guess, I'd go 13 and three. All right, Anthony, last question is from Blake Souza. Um, have we been too hard on Grant Cohn? Gotta bring up Grant Cohn, man. I think people have been very hard on Grant Cohn. I think it's a matter of how he writes and what he talks about that people don't like. And I actually had a phone interview with Grant a long time ago, like months ago. And he was just giving me advice and tips about being a writer and being a future reporter and stuff. But the one thing he was saying is that don't be afraid to speak what you truly believe in. People may not like it. And I think this is where he's kind of getting me at, where he's like, People may not like it, but if it's your word against theirs, they're going to want to see what you're talking about, even if they have everything to say against it. And I think that was the that was the click revenue him that was telling me, you know, that type of information. But I think Grant Cohn is a very honest reporter. Yeah, he talks about does seem very shock value e. But when I talk to him on the phone, man, he seems like he's that exact type person where he has a lot of very strong opinions that people don't like and. Someone has to say it. Even if he doesn't believe it, it's still a good talking point to bring up. You don't have to believe some, believe in something to not bring it up as a talking point. Like, we could talk about anything. I, I don't know. We could talk about something 
apolitical and I may argue against you, even though I don't agree with the against side, just for the sake of arguing. That's how I feel Grant Cohen is as a reporter and as just a you know sports talking head. So I think we've been pretty hard on Grant Cohen. Again, man, he's the one who broke the story. He beat everyone to it. The details may not have been right, but they signed the contract on Friday. But he, he was accurate. He was right. The team technically did sign the contract on Friday, and he knew it was going to get signed from whatever source he's had. So got to give him props, man. People have been kicking him in the butt, but he's doing his job, and I think he's doing it very well. I think people love to hate Grant Cohn. Um, and, and same here. He came onto the show when we first started. He was our very first guest. And it's so funny how many people before even watching it, it was like a, you know, 15, 20 minute interview. And I tweeted it out. And within two minutes, people were tweeting out, wow, that's a crap interview. Wow. It's like, you didn't even watch it. It was 20 minutes and two minutes after releasing it, you're telling me how bad it was. Um, so I think that people love to hate the guy. And if you actually talk to him, he's a nice guy. He's reasonable. He may have some outlandish takes. And I asked him myself if he was a troll. Do you consider yourself a troll? Okay, that's a fair question. It's a great question. Let's agree on what a troll is. Like a troll is Skip Bayless, right? Right. And, and the, the definition is someone who basically will say anything to rile people up. And they don't necessarily even believe it. You know, like on, on that show, uh, First Take or whatever, what's, uh, I don't even know what it's called, the one he does with, with Shannon Sharp. It feels like before oh, the show, he's like, all right, Shannon, you say this, I'll say this. Which topic? You want to take this topic? I'll take, I'll take this stance. We, they don't, you know what I mean? It's like there's no conviction. There's no homework done. They're just sort of saying things to get people to watch. Now, I want people to watch me, and I want to say uh, controversial things, but I think it's pretty clear when you, when you listen to me or have a conversation with me that I really believe what I'm saying. Right. I would never mess around and say some stuff that I don't don't really feel conviction about. And also, I do my homework. I know the sport. I'm not talking about players like you know, like Stephen A. Smith talking about Hunter Henry who are hurt. Like I really, really take it seriously, and I'm passionate, and I feel like I do have integrity. So if you want to disagree with me, great. Like that's the whole point. But don't be like, oh, you're just saying that to get a reaction because you're a troll. Like. Now let's talk about it for a half an hour and I'll explain how I feel. And if you still, I don't expect to change your mind, but at least, you know, uh, grant that I really, I really mean it. I actually do think he believes what he says, however outlandish his takes are. Um, so I would say, yes, I would say, yes, people have been a little too hard on grant, especially this time. Um, Matt Llewellyn of four hours Hive, you know, the guy that I host, uh, Niners news with on YouTube He's kind of put it in perspective that I think the reason that a lot of people are, are going extra hard, so to speak, on Grant this this time is because it just came off of the heels of, of the 49ers Jamal Adams trade picking up steam, and that fell through. That didn't happen. And then he reported this, and some of the details were off, so people were really, really eager to kind of jump at his neck and tell him, wow, you're, you're a horrible reporter, or wow, I can't believe you, you would tweet out this just for, just for attention. Um, so I just feel like, you know, Take it easy on the guy. He he's local. Support your local beat writers, man. I've said it a thousand times. Support your local beat writers. Um, and however, if you may not like him, there's no reason to go at him like that. Uh, he's a nice guy, like I said. So I think that he was trying to get the story right, and he felt confident with his scoop. And to me, it's really really interesting to, what would have happened if he was right. 
if the this this uh, the when the news broke on Friday, if the numbers were matched, or if Rappaport tweeted out the same numbers on on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever he tweeted them out, what if that was what Grant reported? Would he have gotten credit? Because on all of these national stories that I've seen, not one person has said, "Hey, you know, Grant Cohn actually tweeted this out on Wednesday, and although the numbers didn't match up, you know, we had it correct here." They're just completely acting like he didn't exist. So it's interesting to see what would have happened if he had it right, if he would have gotten the scoop. Um, maybe we would have had another hilarious Colin Cowherd calling him to Grant Khan of Sports Illustrated. That that clip was hilarious. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Um, but I think that's going to do it for us today, guys. We really appreciate you tuning in to another episode of the Red Gold Standard Podcast. Um, if you guys have been asking how you can support us, please, please, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Whatever your platform you're listening, if they allow reviews, please leave us a five-star review and tell us what most you like about the show. We read all the reviews. We really appreciate them. Um, and if you guys have any suggestions for topics, how we can make the show better, feel free to tweet them at us at RGSPod. Um, and you can follow both of us. My handle is below on the screen. And for those listening, it is Zach Hernan. Anthony, go ahead and let the folks know where to find you. Just like on the bottom of the screen, guys. Follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49 E-R-S.